Welcome back to another episode of the Meet Kevin Show. Today, we have the honor of coming to you from inside Peter Schiff's home in Dorado, Puerto Rico. Peter, thank you so much for inviting me into your home. Oh, Kevin, it's great to finally meet you Absolutely. in person. <laughs> yes, away from the Zoom screen. So, Peter, everybody wants to know your take. You've regularly said, and you've warned about this, that once the inflation genie is out of the bottle, it's not going back in. Where are we now that it seems like inflation has somewhat peaked and at least we're trending down? Even though it may take longer, it seems like we're not going to the 70s again. What say you? No, I think we're just starting a decade that is actually going to be worse than the 70s from the standpoint of how bad inflation is. And in fact, last year, if you measured prices the way they measured them in the 1970s, the inflation that we experienced in prices in 2022 was actually worse than any year of the 1970s. In fact, it was worse than 1980 or 81. So we're already off to a really bad start. But you have to understand that the inflation of the 1970s, those seeds were planted mainly in the 1960s. With the price caps? Not the price caps. That was kind of the first attempt to kind of attack the symptoms of inflation. Because remember, Inflation is a very misunderstood word. Mm -hmm. People think it means rising prices. It doesn't. Right? The, if you get an old dictionary, an old mm -hmm. Webster's dictionary, it doesn't even have to be that old, in the 1970s, even 1980s. And you look up the word inflation, and it says to expand, the, you know, ex expansion of the money supply, mm -hmm. uh, expansion of supply of money and credit. A result of inflation is that prices go up. Mm -hmm. But the government... And certain maybe Keynesian politicians that support government, they wanted to fool the public so that they really wouldn't understand where inflation came from. So they mm -hmm. kind of redefined it as rising prices because the government doesn't raise prices. Right? Private businesses raise prices. Like you look at Elizabeth Warren today when she was you know, questioning uh, Powell, she was you know, trying to imply that prices were rising because Businesses were gouging their customers, right? Mm. Inflation is not caused by businesses. It's caused by government. Government mm. expands the money supply. The Federal Reserve does mm. that in response to deficit spending from Congress. And so it's government that is the source of all inflation. Mm. But by mislabeling it as rising prices, they can deflect the blame. But getting back to why we had the big increase in prices in the 1970s, mm. in the 1960s, that's when we had the Lyndon Johnson uh, real big increase in government spending, both on welfare and warfare. We had the actual war in Vietnam, right? We also had you know, the space race. So we're spending a lot of money on NASA, spending a lot more money on Vietnam. Then we get these great society programs and the beginning of Medicare, Medicaid, and all this. And they called it guns and butter at the time, right? We we're spending. And then we, they started running these big deficits. And where'd the money come from to finance these deficits? Federal Reserve printed it. Yeah. Now, because they printed so much money, back in the 60s, we were on a gold standard. And because they printed so much money, our creditors realized that we couldn't make good on our obligations to play gold, pay gold, because all dollars were IOUs for gold. So in 1971, because there was a gold drain, because our creditors were taking their Federal Reserve notes and asking for their gold, the mm -hmm. official rate was, you know, 35 Dollars got you an ounce of gold. But after a couple of devaluations, Nixon went off the gold standard. 
And then prices really just spiraled out of control because there was no restraint at all on the printing press through the 70s. So the money they printed in the 60s, they kept printing more in the 70s. Mm. And we didn't really step on the brakes until Volcker came around Mm. in the early 80s. But it started in the 60s. It showed up in the 70s. Now, the inflation that we experienced in 2021 and then worse in 2022, it really had its roots in the prior decade. It really started in earnest in 2009, Mm. following the 2008 financial crisis. That's when the Fed lowered rates to zero and launched quantitative easing for the first time. Yeah, February of 2009, yeah. Right. And and so basically from February of 2009 Mm. until like March of last year, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Interest rates were basically at zero. Maybe it spent a year or two where we got up to half a percent, one percent, two percent, you know, but then quickly came back down. And, you know, the, the balance sheet went from under a trillion to what, nine trillion, wherever it went to. After in, COVID. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, and yeah. we just flooded the economy with inflation. Right. And, and in fact, the Fed wasn't, uh, you know, the Fed was honest about what it was doing in a way because all the Fed chairmen said that we didn't have enough inflation, that we were below target, right? That they, the target was 2% and we were one and a half. Oh my God, this is terrible. We don't have enough inflation. So it was a specific policy goal of the Fed to create inflation because they said we didn't have enough of it. Now, part of the reason was because they lied about it because the CPI isn't honest. You generally have to double prices. So if the CPI says one and a half, it's three. Ah, I see. But that means what? And it also, if it says eight, it's 16. Mm. Right. So we've got massive inflation if you honestly me- measure the effect. Is that because of the weightings that you were? It's well, it's, I don't even know how they calculate it anymore, okay. but there's all kinds of substitution. The basket doesn't remain the same. Of course. Yeah. There is hedonics where they, you know, they claim that quality is going up. Right. But, like the iPhone now might be $1,000. Price went up, but the utility might yeah, be Yeah, they claim. X. But I mean, you know, but. It's not any real better for the consumer, but there's so many other products where quality just goes down. I think about, you know, air, air, air transportation. I mean, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Now you're flying around your private jet, but those of us who are still flying commercial, you know, little people, um, you know, you, you, you know, you have to pay extra. You want a blanket, you want a pillow, you want to check your baggage, right? But they don't put this into the CPI. They oh, just look at the price. You're looking right. at ticket fare, but now they're charging you for everything they didn't Right, and of course, mm. you don't have, you know, now you have two connections instead of nonstop. Mm. You know, you know, there's all kinds of delays. I mean, so the, the quality has gone down. As somebody who's flown, I can, you know, attest to the fact that the the quality is much lower than mm. it was. But, you know, they don't, they don't adjust for that. Now, do you think yeah. that is because of COVID and the pilot and plane shortages no, or well, just an example of CPI? It's just an example of the CPI okay. not capturing the degradation in quality. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, and a lot of companies cut back on, you know, food companies. They'll, they'll give you lower quality ingredients mm. in the food, you know, less fresh stuff, more processed, you know, and it goes now pet food, too. You know, you, they, they put, you know, crappier ingredients there. So there's all kinds of ways that they reduce the quality mm-hmm. instead of increasing the price. Right. Or maybe they do a combination of both. But the CPI doesn't get that. I mean, I know mm-hmm. I did a, 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 an exercise back in 2013. Just I, I made, you can see the YouTube video up there. And this was in 2013. And I looked at 
the prices of newspapers and magazines because there's a, a part of the CPI that says newspapers and magazines. Subscriptions, yeah. Right. Yeah. And according to the CPI, newspaper magazine prices over the prior 10-year period were up by 30%. Mm-hmm. So I just said, well, let me check. It's not that hard to do. Let me go on the internet, go back to 2003 and look at the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Time, Newsweek. You know, uh, I took like maybe 10 to 20 of you the made most your own circulated. Yeah. And I just looked at the prices that were written on the covers in 2003. And I looked at the prices on the exact same magazines on the covers in 2013. And I compared and the actual increase was 130%, mm. not 30%. So the question is, where did that other increase go? Marketing. I mean, it, <laughs> but I mean, it went into the CPI, but it didn't come out, right? Yeah, so yeah. There, I, I don't know the methodology, but sure. I do know that the Boskin Commission back in the, I think, late 80s, they convinced everybody or the government convinced everybody that the CPI was overstating inflation. Mm-hmm. So we needed to fix it so that it got it right. Well, they actually did fix it. You know, the fix is now in, and now it's understating inflation. I see. Yeah. But the problem is now inflation is, 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 is so high that mm. they can't pretend it's under 2%. But the point mm. I was making is the Fed had a policy goal. We want more inflation. Yeah. Well, they delivered. We got more inflation, a lot more inflation. So they were and, right. But, but we didn't is need Peter more. Schiff saying the Fed was right? No, we, <laughs> we didn't need more inflation. No. We needed it like a hole in the head. I no. mean, we needed less inflation. But they were hiding behind a rigged CPI mm-hmm. to claim that we needed 2%. And, you know, where is this 2%? Powell says that, you know, um, we need price stability. Right. And that's defined as prices going up every year by 2%. Right. Now, how is that stable? That doesn't sound like, it sounds like escalating prices. I, I suppose know. the rate of change is stable, but yeah. But, but, but prices themselves aren't stable. Right. Stable prices would be, they're the same. True. That's stability, yeah. right? But... They just concocted the idea that it was 2%. But the whole 2% uh, number came out of New Zealand. That's where it started. Mm. But it started as a ceiling. It was not a target. Like, we need 2% inflation. Like, if you don't, ha- if you only have one, that's a problem. You need to, it was, as long as you were below two, you didn't have to worry. Uh-huh. The minute it got to two, you had to do something about it. So it's almost like your cholesterol should be under this level, but if you're below it, you shouldn't be trying yes, to raise exa- it. <laughs> exactly. But they said we needed to target 2%, which I always thought was such a ridiculous, um, or the amount of hubris that you would have to have as a central banker mm. to think that if inflation is 1.8, you could just dial it up a little bit and hit 2% like right on yeah, the yeah. money. Or if it was 2.1, you just you know, dial it right back down. I mean, if if your inflation is one and a half, that's close enough to two. Why would you even like it was even worse with the ECB because mm-hmm. the ECB, if remember these Mario Draghi comments, <laughs> they said that their goal wasn't two percent. Their goal was to be close to but below two percent. So they were targeting like 1.99. Right. And they were saying, oh, one year I was talking about my podcast, I think it was 2018 or 19. Mm-hmm. Inflation in the eurozone was like 1.74, yet they still had interest rates at negative 40 basis points. They were doing QE because they weren't close enough to being just under 2%, and they were 25 basis points away. Now Mm -hmm. they're at 9%. Now they're so far above. But are they panicking? No. I mean, they still got interest rates at 2.5. They're not even shrinking their balance sheet. And, you know, they're, they're 700 basis points above their target, yet they were Mm -hmm. freaking out when they were 25 basis points below. 
But the whole idea that you need inflation yeah. is absurd. What if we're deflation? Great. I mean, now it, you know you're looking at falling prices, but if you go and look at the CPI in 1900 yeah. and look at the CPI in 1800. Prices were cut in half over 100 years. Mm. So we had falling prices for 100 years. Through innovation. Yes, yeah. that's what's good. Mm-hmm. You know, and everything. I mean, look, you got a cell phone here. You remember how much the first cell phone cost? <laughs> the first phone I had was like a T-Mobile Razor or something like that. Well, like, yeah, you're, you're still young. <laughs> yes. but like, like, I remember, you remember, I don't know if you ever saw Wall Street. Mm. Oh, Gordon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He's got this. Gordon and that, Deco, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, that yeah, was, yeah. And, that, and that thing back then in the, in the mid-80s, that right. was like a two or $3,000 phone. Oh, my gosh. You could have <laughs> bought, I bought my first car in 1980. It was an MGB. I paid $3,700. Oh, so God. a cell phone was about a car. Right? How many people had them? Right? Wow. Why do ever? Why does everybody have cell phones now? Oh, if prices come down, yes, that's yeah. a good thing because yeah. they, they 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 try to tell us that well, if prices come down, no one's going to buy anything. Hmm. No, that's how you get more people to buy. Sure, the, the standard of living price. goes up. More people have TVs. More people have cars. Like comparing today to the fifties, the standard of living, would you argue has gone up? No, I'd argue oh, okay. it's gone down. But <laughs> the price <laughs> of TVs have gone down. That's so true. Okay, people have a lot more TVs today. Right. So, so if you grow up in a house, you got a TV in every room, but your mom's not there because she's working two jobs and you never, you know, be, because back in the 1950s, if you had a guy went to high school, yeah. he could support his wife, four kids, buy a car, save for retirement, no credit cards. I mean, you know, you, you people had, I think, a higher quality of life huh. before government got so big. But the free market. The whole time the government has been undermining our standard of living, mm. the free market has been doing what it can to improve it. And so the technology has gotten better. And so, yeah, we have we have uh, more computers. We have more cameras. Of course, they're all made in Japan or China now. We used to make all the cameras ourselves. Mm. You know, we still had an industry before the government destroyed that. Um, but the idea that we need prices to go up is just completely absurd. Mm-hmm. You know, the, we, we, when prices go down, people's standard of living goes up. Everybody wants to buy more stuff. And the way you buy more stuff is the price of the stuff goes down. What's I mean, would take? anybody, like if you said to somebody, what do you want? Do you want uh, um, food prices to go up or down? Well, right? Do you want your rent to go up or down? Sure. Right? Do you want uh, you know, healthcare to be more expensive or less expensive? Right? Everybody wants prices to go down. Right. And then, they might, then, then they'll try to say, well, but if you're uh, a, a businessman, you want higher prices. Sure. No, you don't. You want higher margins. Right. You want lower prices and lower costs because every businessman knows I can sell more if I can lower my price. Every businessman is trying to lower their price so they can have greater volume. So the key for a business is the difference between what it costs me to produce something Mm. and what I can sell it for. So businesses weren't hurt by falling prices. Think about all the money that these cell phone companies are making selling cell phones now at lower price points than when they were so expensive, you know, you had to be, you know, Gordon Gecko to afford to buy one. Right, right. What would you say to uh, the economic theory that if uh, prices don't go up, then individuals might not be incentivized to ever buy? They would just wait to buy and <laughs> that potentially then lowering GDP and therefore well, maybe the 2% target encouraging. Like, no. Well, I mean... If that were true, nobody would own a phone. They'd be waiting for the price to f- fall indefinitely. But we have always been above uh, a zero in terms of inflating prices. Right? No, but no, but I'm talking about prices for phones themselves sure. or computers, right? They go down. I see over so time. Like, okay, that your quality. Yeah. Down. So 
there's something called the time value of money. Sure. So let's say there's a phone mm -hmm. and it costs $1,000. And I know that if I just wait a year, I could buy that same phone used for like $800. Sure. Will I wait a year? Well, maybe not. You might want the utility now. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, if I can't afford the $1,000, sure. I will wait. But if I have the money, I'm not going to wait a whole year to, you know, and obviously that yeah. doesn't, that's not the case with food. I mean, if you think the price of food is going to go down, you're not going to starve yourself waiting for a cheaper burger. Sure. You're just, you're hungry. You're going to buy the food and what it costs you is what it costs you. But people don't do that. The only people who wait for prices to fall mm. are people who can't afford. Like I remember when I saw in a store and I remember which was, you know, one of the stores like maybe Circus City or something. I don't know if they're in business anymore. Nope. But I, I went into the store and I was probably in my 20s and I saw my first high-def television set. Mm. And I remember it was like amazing. I was like, this is incredible. It's like looking out the window compared to the stuff I was used to. Sure. Now, I really wanted to buy one, but I couldn't afford it. It was like $10,000. Right. And that was like back then when right. $10,000 was a lot of money. Mm. Now, of course, I have high-def televisions in pretty much every room. I got one in the bathroom, Right. So does everybody else. And in your pressure chamber. Yes, I do. You're right. I've got one in my hyperbaric chamber. But why Why do I have them now? Well, they're cheap. Yes. Now, actually, I have more money, so I actually could afford to buy one if sure. it was $10,000, right? But a lot of people who are in their 20s, who are at the same point in life that I was, are buying these televisions that I didn't buy. I, I, it wasn't that I didn't want it. I just couldn't afford it. And if I couldn't afford it at $10,000, if it went up to $11,000 or $12,000, it would have been even less affordable. Right, right. So the fact that prices came down, that's what helped me buy From it. ten to say nine, Whatever. it wouldn't have made a difference. As in that prices case, sure. come down, more and more people enter the market. Yeah, yeah, of course. Until of course. you reach a point where they're low enough, you know, for mass distribution. So, so you would definitely argue the theory that uh, some inflation is good to be stimulative and to help reward people who take on debt no. for their businesses and, and try to advance uh, their okay. businesses sooner. You're super no, anti that. That's theory. all BS. Okay. And of course, you know, inflation does reward debtors. Oh, yeah. But only if the inflation is higher than what was assumed when the loan was originated. The nominal Because there's going to be a, a, you're going to pay a higher rate of interest mm. to borrow money again <laughs> when yeah. the the, the lender knows there's inflation because it's going to be built into the yield. Right. What benefits the debtor is, let's say you and I enter into a loan. Let's say I, I, I loan you $10,000 sure. and we expect 2% inflation. Right. And so I charge you 4% yep. so I can make 2% yep. after inflation. Let's say inflation ends up being 10%. I was wrong. We were both wrong. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm screwed and you've got a windfall. I win. Because you're, you're not paying me enough interest to offset my loss of purchasing power. Right. So inflation can reward the debtor, mm. but it also punishes the lender. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the, the real key to economic growth and rising living standards is productivity. Mm -hmm. You have to have more productivity. Well, where does that come from? It comes from capital investment. Well, where do companies get the money? to invest. It comes from savings. It comes from underconsumption. So to have a really strong economy where you have rising living standards, you need to have a lot of savings. Mm. Well, you're not going to have a lot of savings if you're punishing the savers with inflation nice. you know, or artificially low interest rates like we have. I mean, we don't have real economic growth in this country because we, we punish savers. 
And so we're dependent on the rest of the world where they do save. Right? That's why all this, we have these huge trade deficits because we don't have the industrial capacity because we didn't have the savings to do the capital investments uh, to build the stuff ourselves. Now, we, we happen to issue the world's reserve currency for now. And so the rest of the world is dumb enough to exchange all the stuff they make for the paper we print. Is your thesis then that at some point in the future, the dollar will no longer be the reserve currency? Or, I mean, historically, every currency to have ever existed has, has gone to zero, has gone bankrupt and kaput. Do you expect that to happen for the dollar as well? Yeah, well, there hasn't been a fiat currency in the history of the world mm -hmm. that hasn't gone to zero. Right. Now, the fiat currencies that exist today mm -hmm. haven't gone to zero yet. Right, but the they're ones also that, newer. Right, right yeah. but the ones that were around two hundred years ago, three hundred years ago, right. they're, they're they're pretty much all gone. Mm -hmm. But real money is you know eternal. I mean, gold. I mean, if you find a gold coin that was you know lost by some Roman centurion who dropped it somewhere, and you find that you know gold coin, you could buy pretty much what what you know you could buy back then. Right. I think a, a Roman toga was about an ounce of gold, a really nice one. Wow. And now you can get a pretty nice suit for an ounce of gold. But if you find some paper money, I don't, know if they, I don't think they had any back then, but if you find some paper money from some bankrupt nation from a few hundred years ago, it's worth nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe if it's in pristine condition, maybe it's like a collectible or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't have any real But your expectation is we might go into that sort of direction. Well, I am sure that far enough into the future what we currently use as a substitute for money, Federal mm -hmm. Reserve notes, will have zero value to, mm -hmm. to anybody. The question is, how long is that process going to take? Right. Two years, and, 10 years, 100 years. Well, I'm sure they'll have value in two years, 10 years, 100 years, tough to say. Okay. But how much value? I mean, if you look at what value the paper currency has today mm -hmm. versus 100 years ago, sure. it's lost 99% of its value. Mm -hmm. So something that cost you a penny 100 years ago, you need a dollar to buy it. You know, something that costs you a dollar, you need a hundred dollars. That's basically, but in terms of gold or silver, the prices are relatively constant. But what's more, I think, important is not whether the dollar is going to have any value, but how much of its value will it lose and how quickly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is a function of how much longer the dollar will stay as the primary reserve currency. That's a $64 trillion question. I mean, Do you think that aligns with how long the United States might be the largest economy in the world? Well, I, I think China's probably, I'm not sure what the, I mean, maybe by GDP, we're still bigger right, right. Um, than China. But, you know, on a purchasing power parity basis, probably not. I mean, you know, but yeah, I, I do think by the end of this decade, yeah. China will be a larger economy than the United States in total. Um, and that aligns with your 10 years. And, yeah, I mean, it, and, it, and it may well be that before the end of this decade, the dollar is no longer reserve currency. I mean, you can see a lot of nations, including China, you know, Russia, India, uh, even, even in the Middle East now, uh, moving away from the dollar, trying to reorient their, their trade in other currencies. Um, and I think what we've done recently with the sanctions on Russia only highlights to the world how important it is to de-dollarize. Mm -hmm. I mean, they should have done it anyway because they, they mean it's distorting the whole global economy where everybody is warehousing dollars. And the longer the dollar remains the reserve currency, the bigger our imbalances become. Sure. We have record trade deficits. We have, a, you know, we are the world's biggest debtor nation. We have huge card account deficits. All of this is being fueled 
by the dollar's reserve currency status. And so the longer it remains the reserve currency, yeah. the bigger our external liabilities become and the more money the rest of the world is going to lose when we default. Sure. Right? Because right now we're all talking about, oh, we can't default on the debt. Right? Well, we can't pay the debt either. That's one thing, right? So we will eventually default. The question is how? We're more likely to default through inflation than legitimately you know, not paying. Because sure. that is what's going to happen. I mean, Can you describe saying, that? What, what would that look like? Because we expect, obviously, the debt ceiling to be raised. We can't say it with certainty, but we expect that. Of course it will what, be raised. So but, what, you know, the, what do you the, mean then? Yeah. I mean, How do we, we default? But the, the, this, the problem is the debt. The ceiling, in theory, would be part of the solution. Right. The problem is they raise the ceiling whenever we get there. So there really isn't a ceiling. Yeah. But when they say we have to raise the debt ceiling because we have to pay our bills. Right. That's not why we want to raise the debt ceiling. If we paid our bills, we wouldn't have any debt. The reason they want to raise the debt ceiling is so we can continue not paying our bills, right? <laughs> we go into debt instead of paying our bills. Right. So if we didn't raise the debt ceiling, we'd be forced to pay our bills. The problem is we can't, mm-hmm. right? So that's why we have to go deeper into debt. But just raising the debt ceiling doesn't mean that we're not going to have to deal with these consequences. It just means we can kick the can down the road right. while the problem gets worse. Because eventually, we're going to hit a lending ceiling. Mm-hmm. And that we can't raise. That's like the lenders are like, no mas. We're not lending you any more money because we're not throwing any more good money after bad because you know you, you're, you're, you can't even pay us back. But what you're saying is, is people would then stop buying treasury bonds. Yeah. And in fact, we've admitted it. I mean, you know, you listen to the, 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 set, the senators and the congressmen today talking to Powell. If we don't raise the debt ceiling, we're going to default. Mm-hmm. Right? Now- <laughs> <laughs> what, what, is, what are we telling our creditors? We're telling our creditors we'll only repay or only pay you back if we can find some other sucker to lend us the money. Sure. But the minute we can't borrow money from somebody else, we're not going to pay you. So that's an admission that it's a giant Ponzi scheme, right? There is The U.S. has no ability to pay its debts. All it can do is find new lenders to lend it the money to pay off the old lenders. Mm. But now who's gonna, how are they gonna repay the new lenders? Well, they gotta find another group of suckers who will lend the money, knowing that the only way they're gonna get it back is if there's an even another grade of greater fools willing to lend. So this is, you know, it can't go on. Ponzi schemes are illegal because they don't work. Is it and just possible, because the government runs it doesn't mean it's gonna work. Is it possible our economy grows such that the debt that we have outstanding today is nominal relative to economic productivity? No, that's not possible because the debt is growing much faster than GDP. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way they're gonna reduce the debt is through massive inflation. Mm-hmm. So we owe 30 trillion. Or 30, what, almost 32 trillion. Mm-hmm. Let's say, and by the end of the decade, we'll own more than, owe more than 50 trillion. Okay. Well, I mean, if we had hyperinflation yeah. and a cup of coffee was a trillion dollars, well, the debt's no big deal. It's mm-hmm. like 50 cups of coffee and we're good. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so obviously, you know, if we don't have hyperinflation, but even if, let's say, prices go up 10 times, let's mm-hmm. say the government creates enough inflation that the dollar loses 90% of its value mm-hmm. between now and the end of the decade. And so everything costs 10 times. You think inflation is bad now. Everything is 10 times as expensive. Well, now that $50 trillion debt is like $5 trillion in, sure. real, in real terms. So sure. that's how they get out of debt. You know, if you look at you know, what we mentioned earlier, inflation benefits debtors mm-hmm. and punishes creditors. Who is the biggest debtor in the world? 
What, the United States government? Yes. Yeah. And the United, that's why the United States government is creating all this inflation. But it doesn't want to accept responsibility for the inflation because obviously the voters don't like it. Mm. So they try to point fingers at Putin or somebody else. Uh-huh. But the government benefits from inflation by wiping out its debt. But also the government benefits from inflation in that politicians get to um, bribe the voters with government programs. Like stimulus. Yes. Without asking the same voters to pick up the tab. Mm-hmm. Right. See, when they raise taxes, people don't like that. I mean, they like it if you raise taxes on the rich. And sure. the rich is defined as anybody who has more money than you. Right? <laughs> so as long as they raise money on people that are, are richer than you, you're fine. But nobody wants their own taxes raised. But everybody wants a check from the government in some form. Right. Well, how does the government pull off that sleight of hand? How do they give the public something without taking something away? Because the government doesn't have any money. It only has what it takes in in taxes and then Mm -hmm. redistributes. So what they do is they run deficits. They just hand out a bunch of money and they don't ask anybody to pay taxes. Where do they get the money? The Fed creates it. So it's inflation. Inflation is a tax. So instead of sending your money to the government, you send your purchasing power. The government takes your purchasing power because they don't need to take your money. They have a printing press. So they just print money and they give it to somebody. Right. And now that person goes and buys some stuff, but he didn't earn the money. So he didn't produce anything. He just has money. And now he spends it. And now prices go up. And now you pay higher prices instead of higher taxes. I mean, that's mm-hmm. why during COVID it was so bad. Think about the how stupid this was. And, I, and I, I pointed it out on my podcast in real time. In early 2000, the U.S. government said, nobody go to work. Everybody stay home. Right? Don't go to work. Stay at home. But we don't want you to stop spending. Keep on spending money. Oh, you don't have a paycheck anymore? We'll send you some unemployment benefits. Right, in 600 fact, bucks a week. Since we're going to give you double or triple what you used to earn. Yeah. So we told people not to produce, but to buy more. Mm. Buy what? They weren't making anything. Mm. So that was an inflationary time bomb because we were ex- expanding the money supply to buy prices, but we were contracting the supply of goods to buy. So we had more money and fewer goods. And prices go through the roof. What should have happened if the government really wanted us to stay home? They should have said, nobody buy anything. Just stay home and stop spending because they're not working. But that would have meant, it, meant a deeper recession. So right. they wanted everybody to keep on spending. You know, I mean, it shows you how little understanding they have. And even the Federal Reserve, uh, Powell went to Congress and said, you guys need to spend more money. Don't worry, I'll print it. We need more stimulus. Yeah. And I got you covered. Yeah. I mean, so he was encouraging the government to create more inflation. I mean, the worst possible combination of monetary and fiscal policy. And we're, we've barely begun to suffer the consequences of that. We still I want to hear about this, but why, I mean, do you, are you suggesting the reason potentially we don't use the expansion of the money supply in the definition of inflation today or in the measures of inflation today is because that would be too obvious then that the government is inflation. Of course, who who expands the money supply? It's only the government in the state. Right. Greedy businesses can't expand the money supply. Putin can't expand our money supply. Right. So they want to define it as prices. But of course, Mm. when you attack Prices, you're never going to get rid of inflation. That's why price controls, wage and price controls that we had in the 70s, they didn't work. Wow. Yep. You know, because it's like, you know, if you have a fever, if you break the thermometer, that's not going to bring it down, right? You got to get to the cause, not, you know, how you measure the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So the way we have to fight inflation is by shrinking the money supply, 
but we really have to cut spending. Yeah. I mean, when, when austerity Powell, like EU. Yeah. Yeah. When when Powell is raising interest rates, I think that's going to fight inflation. See, it's not mm. because first of all, interest rates are a cost, and just like labor or raw materials, so everybody is dealing with higher interest rates, and that's all passed into prices, consumer prices. What higher interest rates have to do in order to bring down inflation is to discourage spending and encourage savings. So if consumers spend less, then there's less demand. And if they save more, there's more supply because now there's more money to to, to loan out for capital investment. But that's not what's happening. Hmm. Interest rates have increased, but they're still below the rate of inflation. We still have negative real interest rates. So we're still incentivizing consumer debt. And in fact, if you look at the consumer, credit card debt is at a record high. Savings rates at a record low. Has anybody altered their consumption and savings behavior based on the increase in interest rates? No. Mm-hmm. No. In fact, to the extent that people can't afford to buy something because the price went up, they don't cut back so much. They just borrow the money and buy it anyway. They keep on paying the higher prices. And government is continuing to run these deficits. We're not going to bring down inflation until we bring down the deficits. We have to reduce government spending. Consumption has to go down. All government spending is consumption. So we're running what the Keynesians would call an expansionary fiscal policy right now. We're running huge deficits. That is inflationary even by the Keynesian definition. So even if you're saying we have the Fed that is trying to fight inflation, you have government that is lighting more fires. So, you know, the, the Fed is not making any progress. So Nor you are say, they going to make progress just by raising rates at the, at the rate they're doing it. So at the same time as the Fed is raising rates, the federal government is also handing out essentially stimulus checks to chip companies and manufacturers yes. to produce the factories out here, battery manufacturers. I mean, we're almost in a stimulus war between Europe, China, and the United States for batteries and EV. Would you say then that's stimulative while the Fed is essentially Well, it's not stimulative in the sense that it helps. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, but it stimulates inflation if you want to sure. look at okay, what okay. it stimulates. Yeah. But also, you know, a lot of these politicians – claim that, well, you know, the inflation isn't Biden's fault or the government's fault because they have inflation in Europe. It's all. So are you going to blame the inflation in the Eurozone on Biden? No, I blame it on the European politicians who made the same mistakes and more so the European Central Bank. Mm. I mean, we have inflation all over the world because all these central banks made the same mistake. They all created a bunch of inflation. They all had 0% 0% interest rates or negative interest rates. They were all doing quantitative easing. It's not an accident that now they're experiencing uh, the consequences. The, mm. the, the only thing that kind of makes it difficult is that there was a big lag. I mean, right. Why, why was that lag so large? It took until COVID for us to see that. Until after COVID. Right. Yeah. Well, but we're, I, I don't even think we're seeing all the inflation that we created in COVID. I think we're finally catching up to the stuff from 2009, 2010. Oh, wow. I think, I think there's a lot of inflation in the pipeline. Wow. And we're just at the cusp of it. That's why you think it's actually going to be worse today than the 70s, because what you're saying is the inflation we're seeing today is from 09. Yeah. That the COVID we, inflation hasn't even hit yet. And and um, we can't do anything about it. Because mm-hmm. if you look at what it took, so inflation was when Volcker came in, 1980, 81-ish, he came in. Inflation was 11 12%, 10 11 up there, right? And so interest rates went up. Short-term rates went up above 20%. Mm -hmm. And 
Inflation didn't even get back down to 2% for the first time until 1986. That was six years later. And the Fed's funds rate in 1986 hit a high of 16%. Six years later, you're still at 16% just to get inflation to 2%. Mm-hmm. And you know how many years it took to get another year where inflation was 2% or lower? Like 20 total. 12. <laughs> 12, okay. Right. So yeah. Powell thinks he's going to get inflation back to 2% and keep it there. He doesn't have a prayer of doing it. If it took 20% interest rates to do it back then, we have worse inflation now, but we have so much more debt. What would, mm. what would the interest rate be on the national debt? Even at 10%, we have a 35 or $32 trillion national debt. If we had to pay 10% on that, that's $3 trillion a year. Yeah. That's more than national defense, uh, Social Security, and Medicare probably combined. I don't know. I mean, or close. I mean, it would be, it would be like two-thirds of the government's tax revenue. Yeah. Even even when they refinance the whole thing at five percent, you know, you're, you're you're we're going to be spending in a couple of years. It's going to be two trillion a year in interest, wow. maybe half the tax revenue. And we're Basically, already at I'm, a one trillion we're, dollar deficit. We're not quite at a trillion yet. Under, right. By the end of this year, early next year, it'll be a trillion dollars a year just in interest on the national mm. debt. That means over ten years, that's ten trillion in interest yeah. payments. But of course, it will be more than that. Because rates are going to keep going up and the debt mm. keeps going up. So it's, it compounds. So what do you say to people who say that uh, one of the reasons you had more inflation in the 70s and you ended up getting a Paul Volcker was because of unanchored inflation expectations, whereas today they're relatively anchored? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a bunch of BS when, mm. you know, and Powell said that again today, that yeah. he thinks that inflation is a function of expectations. Like, you know, if people expect inflation, then that's why there is inflation. But that's part of the government's efforts to blame other people for inflation. Mm. We don't have inflation because people expect it. People expect inflation because we have it, <laughs> right? So they got the cart before the horse. Interesting. And it's not that my beliefs about inflation is what creates it. They just, well, if you think there's gonna be rising prices, you're gonna demand higher wages. And, you know, but th- th- this is all a bunch of BS, mm. you know? But yes, of course, if you have inflation long enough, people will anticipate that it will continue and they will try to deal with it as best they can. But that is not what's creating it. Mm. And it's possible that if people anticipate inflation, but you pursue the correct policies, they'll end up being wrong. There won't be the inflation that they anticipate. And in fact, I think Americans by and large are wrong today. There's gonna be far more inflation than just about anybody anticipates. I mean, think about the huge inflation that we had I mean, it measured by CPI last year, eight, nine percent. How many people anticipated that? Yeah. No, it wasn't, you know, people thought, oh, everybody thought that inflation would be low. Uh, and people still expect it to be low. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at what they expect, not two percent, but maybe three percent. Sure. But they're they're completely wrong. So it's five be- years out, the University of Michigan say says four point two percent for inflation. Uh, sorry, that might be one year out. One year out, four point two percent. Let's say, and, and five years out, two point four. What say you to that? Completely yeah, and, off. Well, I don't even know like how they ask the question. I mean, I've never been questioned. But I mean, a lot of Americans can't even do basic math. I mean, have you ever see some of these videos? I mean, I mean, the Americans have been so dumbed down on just about any subject. How are you going to ask them like, oh, what's the inflation rate going to be in four years? Like, how the hell does anybody know? <laughs> so, I mean, do they give them like a multiple choice? I mean, I don't even know like how they 
they, they, they do conduct the polls. Yeah. You know, I've never received a phone call from somebody from the government asking me what I thought the inflation rate was going to be, you know, three or four years from now. Mm. I mean, so I, the whole thing is ridiculous to even put any stock mm. into what a bunch of idiots think inflation is going to be. Right. <laughs> I mean, you know, they don't know. I mean, they actually they may be they may be closer than a central banker. Yeah. You know, they actually may be more accurate than the, the people on the FOMC, wow. but they don't know. They're just guessing. How the hell do they, how does anybody know what, what it's going to be? Now, what's uh, what would you say, though, to this great moderation that we've had over the last 40 years of, yes, expanding the debt, uh, so expanding the money supply, but uh, also inflation falling from the Paul Volcker era down to really 20 right before yeah. COVID? Well, I, again, part of that is due to the changes we made to the CPI so okay. that we're not being honest. So inflation has been yeah. higher. So we've been misled, in other we've words. We've misled. Okay. But I think you have other factors that have come. Like one of them in the U.S. was women entering the labor force. I think that was a big thing because prior to the 1970s, mm-hmm. married women, by and large, did not work. Sure. I mean, maybe if their husband got laid off, they might get a job just to pick up the slack till he got another job. But, I mean, women didn't work. But as a result of the inflation of the 70s and the reduction in the real income of the men, the women came to the rescue. The women went to work. And so we got the benefit of all that extra labor. We didn't have it before, mm-hmm. right? Increased so, productivity. So yes, now we have more people working uh, and producing. And so instead of the husband having to support the wife, he didn't have, they supported each other. And so you had, you had another worker. So that was part of it. Now, of course, we can't do that anymore because they're both working. And now that some of them are they're working two or three jobs a piece. They're kind of maxed out. I mean, I suppose the kids can start dropping out of school and they could pitch in. Oh. <laughs> but, you Yikes. know, they got, they got yeah, these yeah. child labor laws. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. But, um, so the other thing, I think, was the growth of China. I think mm-hmm. China really saved us because you had all these people that could do all the work for us at a lower cost. Deflationary. And, and so we were able to uh, outsource a lot of our production. And that kept the lid on prices because mm-hmm. all this stuff was coming in from China right. uh, at prices that we could never produce it ourselves. I mean, obviously, if all the money we printed had to stay in America and we can only buy what we made, I mean, prices would have just gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. But we were able to send the money to China and, and they sent us their stuff. Now, what did China do with the money? They bought treasuries. They bought stocks. They bought real estate. So what happened during the 90s and the 2000s, 2010s, is a lot of that inflation ended up in financial assets. Mm -hmm. That's why stock prices went up so much. That's why real estate prices, that's why bond prices, right? So inflation was showing up in those financial assets because that's how the money was making its way through the economy. I see. But- where we are now, we're at the early stages of the money flowing out of financial assets into consumer goods. Mm-hmm. And because that's ultimately where it all goes, because nobody buys stocks because they want stocks. I mean, there's probably some geeks out there that just love stocks. Right? Sure, yeah, They're yeah. just trading for the thrill of it. Mm-hmm. You know, but most people want to buy stocks because they want to sell the stock and buy something with the money that they earn. And appreciate Guys like me, I buy stocks for the dividends. Right. Right. I expect I want to earn dividends and I want to spend the dividends on on things. Whatever you want. Right. But no one just wants the stock just to brag about owning it or admire the certificate, assuming they actually know what really has the certificate. 
So ultimately, everybody's goal is to move the money out of the stock market into the real economy and buy cars, take vacations, buy a house, travel, go out to dinner, buy clothes. That's what everybody wants, right? So as all the people start to turn their financial assets into consumption, prices for financial assets are going down because people have to sell. And now the price of everything else is going up because people are starting to spend. So we're just early in that cycle. Yikes. Now, what's your take on potentially deglobalization also then increasing those prices? Or do you think the world will more re-globalize? That is maybe move from China to... No, you're right. I mean, I think we've reached the end of that trade with China where China's like, screw this. Yeah. You know, we we want our stuff. We're going to keep the stuff that we make. You keep the money you print, we'll keep all this stuff. And and so we're not going to be able to import deflation from China. We're going to be importing our inflation back, right? Because all that money comes back. Because you know what the Chinese are going to do? They're going to take their money and buy our used stuff, right? Not our buy our used cars or, you know, whatever. So a lot of prices are going to be bid up when they don't want our stocks anymore. They don't want our bonds anymore. They want actual stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we have this big day of reckoning coming with inflation and a yeah. dollar devaluation. I mean, there's just no way around it. What's that going to look like? It's going to look pretty bad, right? Because, you know, it's, prices are just going to go way up. And Prices of goods and then assets down. Yeah. No, asset prices might actually go up in nominal terms, uh-huh. but they'll go down in real terms, right, compared to... So you expect hyperinflation? Well, that'd be the worst case scenario. I hope we avoid that. But mm-hmm. even if it's not hyperinflation, you know, Weimar Republic style right. or Zimbabwe else. style, something mm-hmm. like that, yeah. we can still have, you know, an Argentina type situation. Okay. You know, like we can Turkey, still- Turkey, yeah, 60%. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we can have something. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that we're that Weimar Republic is impossible, of course, because, you know, Germany was very wealthy. I mean, you know, and, uh, and look what happened, right? I mean, mm. so it's possible that we could we could end up in a worst case scenario. But to avoid the worst case scenario, it's you know we're going to have to bite the bullet at some point. Otherwise, that's what's going to happen. And what but, time frame do you see that in? I think once once the inflation really kicks in, it'll be quick. You know, the dollar will start spiraling down, and prices will go up. And the real you know problem is going to be you know the, the the politics of it all, the civil unrest that may. Uh, ensue, and other really misguided policies. We may go back to wage and price controls again, Mm. import restrictions, exchange rate restrictions. That just makes it worse. Yeah, of course, because it will create shortages. Right. And then black markets, underground economy, um, a lot of crime, violence. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be pretty. That's that's. And you problem. think that could be with as soon as potentially the next two years when the could real happen. inflation comes through? Yeah. I mean, it, it could happen any time. I mean, then again, we could kick the can down the road for another five years. I don't know. So you know, I, we I, could still go to the moon for another five years. Oh, you, you know, prices. Yeah. I doubt if you look at the charts, I doubt that we're going to, you know, see another huge run, you know, in a lot of these tech names and things like that. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Dow made a new high. I mean, that could happen because you have some legitimate companies that are in those 30 Dow stocks. Yeah, like AMC. Yeah, well, AMC, (laughs) they would have been too bad they kicked out ExxonMobil, you know. (laughs) They replaced it with Salesforce. Yeah. But but yeah, I don't think you're going to see, you know, the the fangs or the low, even lower quality names. I don't think they're made. I think the highs are in for those stocks. Wow. Even nominally, you know, I, I would be surprised if they... They made new highs. 
But if they do, it's only with massive inflation, and in which case they made a new high, but you're better off with owning almost, almost anything else. Oh my gosh, anything because other than stocks, essentially. Those stocks, well, yeah. you can own the right stocks. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, you know the, the, the stuff in your kitchen can outperform those stocks, right? What's prevented you from launching your own ETF, like a Kathy would, uh, but maybe more dividend focused? Well, I have my own mutual funds. I've already done that. Okay. I have a whole family yeah. of funds. In fact, and that's um, Euro Pacific, Euro Pacific funds. Okay. And finally, after several years of lagging the competition, I'm now at the top of the heap. Um, my dividend payer fund yeah. uh, was number one last year, wow. according to uh, Lipper, uh, Morningstar, uh, U.S. News and World. I, we've got a couple of awards for the fund. In fact. Congrats. In international value, there's like 350 funds in the category. I only have two funds in the category, and my funds are ranked one and three wow. over the last one year, three years, and five years. Congrats. So, uh, and that's a, a value strategy, uh, you know, good stock picking, good mm -hmm. sector collection. Now, the absolute returns are not great in dollars because we've had a very strong dollar. So mm -hmm. the returns are only good relative to my peers. And that's, of course, the benchmark, right? Mm -hmm. How I've done. But I think the returns over the next five years are going to be much better, not only in relative terms, but in absolute terms, because I expect the dollar to be very weak over the next five years. Now, I expected it to be weak over the past five years, so I got that wrong, right? Mm. I expected my funds to deliver better returns for my American uh, investors. Sure. Yeah. Um, but I think we're going to make up for that, because I think the next five years will give us enough extra return to make up for the first five because i think now the dollar's demise is going to be bigger it's so, a bigger bubble more air is going to come out so i think we're going to get paid the payday for being patient is going to be bigger mm. because we had to wait longer to to receive it now if we have more inflation uh, wouldn't that lead treasury yields then to increase and potentially demand for those treasuries to increase leading the dollar to rise at least in the short term well, that's already happened, right? Mm -hmm. Yields have picked up and the dollar's gone up. Mm -hmm. But that's only because the market still believe the Fed is going to succeed in reducing inflation over the long run. Right? It'll take the failure, a, in other words. I see. The markets have to lose confidence in the Fed. Mm -hmm. For some reason, they still do. If you look at a 30-year Treasury, right. the yield is less than 4%. Sure. In fact, the yield on a 10-year Treasury is higher than the yield on a 30-year Treasury. Yeah. The yield on a five-year Treasury is higher than on a 10-year. The yield on a two-year is higher than a five-year. Everybody expects the Fed to succeed. Yeah, They're not going to succeed. They're going to fail. Mm. So you think the bond market is wrong? Completely wrong, okay. right. And, and part of the reason they're wrong is it's so distorted by the central banks. Mm. But at some point, the bond vigilantes are going to wake up and realize that the central banks have put themselves in a box and there's no escape. Mm. And that inflation is not going away. It's here to stay. And even though they're raising interest rates, the rate that you're getting is still going to be negative in terms of inflation. Mm. I don't believe the central banks are able to offer an interest rate that is above the inflation rate. Wow. And so as long as bonds are yielding negative, why would anybody want one? Mm -hmm. You can't win in a bond. You, you, know, you could make money in stocks when interest rates are negative. I mean, you, know, you could have a lot of growth, the stock price would go up. But 
if inflation is 8% and you've got a bond with a 5% coupon, you can't make money. You're guaranteed to lose unless the inflation rate comes way down. Right. But it's right. not going to happen. Mm. You know? So now, do you think it's possible if they've rigged the inflation data for, let's say, the past decade, that they could adjust the inflation data down going forward? They probably will. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you know, you can't fool everybody, you know. Mm. It's like, you know, some of the ways that companies avoid raising prices is they just, you know, Trinflation. lower. Not, yeah. So, I mean, eventually you buy a box of cereal and there's just like one flake in there. I mean, you can't, you know, I remember when I used to buy cereal when I was a kid, right, into the oh. box, it was filled up to the top, <laughs> right? And I know that because when I used to go to the supermarket with my, my, my mom, we would pick the, the cereal based on the toy inside. Uh-huh. And so as soon as I got home, I would have my mother open up the box and pour out the cereal right. so I could get the toy. And that cereal was all the way to the top of the box. Now you buy a box of cereal and it doesn't even start until two thirds down. Like two thirds of the box is actually empty. Sure. By the time you get to the little bit of cereal, it's in that <laughs> box. So, I mean, there's, but there's only so much they could do. And they, you know, and then they're reluctant to shrink the size of it because, you know, then you'll see. So they just, they just give you less in the same box. But at some point you reach, you know, you can't shrink it anymore. I mean, they keep taking sheets out of a roll of toilet paper. Yeah. You know, at, at some point they, you know, they, they can't make them that small and they have to just, you know, start raising prices. But it's still the same to the consumer because I just have to go and buy more rolls. Doesn't right. matter if they just, you know, make the rolls smaller and I pay less per roll. I have to go every time I go to the supermarket, you know, you got to buy, you know, a 12 pack, yeah. you know, to, to get enough toilet paper to last through the week. Especially, you know, if you, you know, if you got women in the house, you know, they, they run through that toilet paper. What about uh, Kathy Wood uh, and her idea that inflation today is actually lower than what's being reported? Yeah, the opposite of what's actually true. That's how delusional Kathy Wood is. Yeah, I mean, look, she's just saying that because she's trying to talk her own book. And, you know, you can make the same accusation, you know, of me, right? Hey, Peter's just bearish because he's, you know, long gold stocks or he's short the dollar, you know. So, yes, I recognize that you, you could say that. But in this, you know, I, I think I'm right. Of course, obviously, maybe she thinks she's right, too. But um, why do you think she's wrong? Well, she's pretty much been wrong about everything. But what she's talking about, right, higher productivity. Mm-hmm. And I don't dispute the fact that in certain areas, productivity is going up. AI. Yeah. And, and and now it remains to be seen, right, what that AI is going to ultimately do for productivity. It has the potential to make people a lot more productive because I can start a business and instead of hiring a bunch of people, I can just have a computer program do it for me. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't have to use those labor resources. They're freed up to do something else. And, you know, to the extent that I can run a business on a lower budget, well, then I can charge lower prices for whatever my goods or services are because I don't have to pay all these workers. Um, and so it's very possible that productivity goes up, which is good. We want productivity to go up. And under the normal course, that would mean lower prices. But if we print enough money, that we will lose that benefit. Prices may remain the same or they may go up a little bit. So we still have inflation, even if the free market is 
increasing productivity, the government can be undermining the benefits of that by creating inflation. So thanks to running a deficit, because by default, you're suggesting we're running a deficit, which is inflationary. Mm. And so even if we get uh, innovation, we're we're still fighting this inflation. Plus, what's probably going to happen in the world that we live in today versus the free market world that we should be living in Mm. is a lot of the workers that end up losing their jobs to AI will just go on some government welfare program. So it's not like they're going to go do something else. UBI. Yeah, they're just going to get money from the government. So it's like that's going to offset that's the benefit. Interesting. So that's you know, potentially arguing that even if, if we get more productivity, we might just take one person completely out of the workforce and then reset that productivity back to right where it was. Well, if, if, if the government simply pays the person. Yeah. So if, let's, say, let's say somebody was employed right. making you know, $50,000 a year. Yeah. And then I lay that guy off. I don't need him anymore. I can, I, a computer can do his job for me. Yeah. So I, I don't have to expense that $50,000. Right. And now I fire that guy. Mm. If that guy goes and gets another job, it's a win, yeah. right? Because now he's doing something else. So now we have the benefit of whatever else he's doing, sure. plus what I'm doing with the computer. Mm. But if instead he goes to the government, the government just gives him $50,000 a year and some kind of welfare and he doesn't work, then society hasn't benefited at all. Mm. from. The, there's no extra productivity. The guy's just getting money from the government. And so, you know, whatever, whatever uh, benefits are, are being stolen by the government. So We'll see how this is going to happen. I mean, obviously, some of the first people to lose their jobs from a lot of this are going to be the unskilled, right? The minimum wage type workers who are being, you know, automated out of existence by the minimum wage and other payroll taxes. And a lot of these guys obviously are just showing up um, on the welfare rolls. I mean, look at the mm. the labor force participation rate. I it's mean, fine. why is it yeah. so low? Where are all those people? How are these people surviving? Could it have been retirements because of COVID? Well, some people, but... Um, you know, a, a lot of it are just young people that never even enter the workforce. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people are actually coming out of retirement somehow because they, they can't even afford to stay retired. Because of they're the taking, inflation. They're taking these odd jobs and, 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 th- mm-hmm. and things like that. But I think a lot more people over the course of this decade who are now retired are going to go back to work. What's your take on housing then? Uh, housing is obviously a real asset, uh, potentially yeah. an inflationary hedge. Uh, however, with rates going from... 2.7% to now 6.7, maybe in some cases 7%. It seems like there could be an impetus of a housing crash, uh, much like you potentially, I believe you predicted in 2005 uh, or, or 2006, you mentioned you saw the top of the, the uh, housing market at the end of 05 and that there would be some form of housing crash. How does that relate to what you're seeing today? Well, I started warning about the housing bubble when the Fed began inflating it in 2002. And oh, I, wow. I, I just didn't know when it would reach its peak. But by 2005, 2006, it was pretty clear that we had peaked and I was, you know, warning about it. And that's when we, I helped get the hedge fund, the short subprime and do all that stuff. Uh, and that was in 06. And that was, you know, pretty much just before it all imploded in 07. Right. But I, I had been warning about it, you know, and writing about it extensively online in 2003, 2004, 2005. So this thing didn't come out of left field. Mm. And I explained exactly why we had a bubble. I talked about how the Federal Reserve, how Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the banks, uh, the appraisal industry, and I I explained how all that was happening and and, and how it was distorting the economy and the financial crisis that was going to result when the whole thing burst. So, I mean, People have said if they you know look listen to some of my talks, you would think that I was I came back from the future and wow. you know in a time machine yeah, yeah. these talks, but it's basic economics. It's just that so many people don't understand it. Sure. 
you know, they think that I'm some kind of prophet because I can see what should have been obvious to everyone else. It wasn't and the schools that, aren't teaching that. Yeah, either. it wasn't that I was so smart. It was that everybody else was so dumb. And so, you know, I was the, the tallest, uh, well, short, short person, little person <laughs> in the room. Got don't want to, don't want to be politically incorrect. But um, so, how does that compare to today? Well, it, look, it is a different situation today. So we don't this have, time is different. We well, I mean, we don't have the same type of subprime. Uh, market that we had back then. Right. We don't have as many teaser rates and adjustable rate mortgages now as we had back then, but it's still a big bubble, right? Uh, real estate is still priced really for 3% mortgages, 3, 3.5% mortgages, and mm. we're at seven and going higher. Mm. Going higher. Where, where, where's the terminal I for both Fed and what, what would you guess two years from now? I don't know. It's going to go higher. I mean, just I stop. I don't, I don't know. I can't, I don't know. I just think it's, you know, in the 1980s, mortgage rates were 14, 15%. You know, I mean, they could get up there again. You could f- force, you could reasonably foresee 14% sure. mortgages. Sure, it could happen. Now, the Fed might cry uncle before then, but we'll see. But um, mortgage, mortgage rates are double what they were, right? Yeah. The lows. Oh, yeah. And, and so homes for most people are completely unaffordable unless the price comes down. Right. And so that's the only thing they can give is the price. So the price will eventually come down for houses. Um, and then that sets off a whole other bunch of problems when people have negative equity. Right. And, you know, do they make their mortgage payments? You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so you get the defaults. One thing that might keep people in their homes today longer than in 2008 is people had a decade to refinance their mortgages right. at three, three, three and a half percent. And so even if your house loses value, there's still an incentive to stay there because your mortgage could be lower than what you could rent, right? What you can get a rental for. And even if you sell your home, you can't buy another one because you can't get that cheap money anymore. Right. So people do have an incentive to stay in a home, even if it's worth less than they paid, because yeah. the w- mortgage is worth way more. Right. That that's your that's most homeowners' val- most valuable asset right now. It's the mortgage. <laughs> they've borrowed all this money for thirty years, and they've got a really low rate. Right. Inflation is going to average, you know, let's say seven or eight percent or more, 10 percent for the next 30 years. Wow. And you've got a three and a half percent mortgage. Mm-hmm. You know, that's huge. That's worth mm-hmm. the bank should pay you lots of money to sell, to give up, to, to walk away, you know, to, to pay, to pay the mortgage off, sell your house and pay. So that's going to keep more people in their homes. If mm-hmm. you didn't have that situation um, back then. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the problem for homeowners, though, is the maintenance costs are going to go up, the insurance costs. And I, I so my, my home in Connecticut, the uh, property insurance doubled. Wow. I mean, because they said, well, it costs twice as much to, your house isn't worth more, but if it burns down, it's twice as expensive to rebuild it. The materials, the labor, right? So uh, those costs, property taxes going up, because all these governments that have a lot of debt, now the interest rates are going up. Where are they going to get the money? They got to raise taxes. So homeowners are going to be under a lot of pressure, even if their mortgage is fixed. Hmm. You know, uh, a lot of their other expenses are not. But I, I, real estate prices are going to come down. In in real terms, they're going to come way down. Nominal terms, it all depends on how much more inflation is unleashed, how quickly the Fed folds and pivots. And you think and they'll fold? They they will. They will eventually because they've done it every time in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, the last time was COVID, right? They were they were trying to normalize interest rates before COVID. And remember when they initially cut interest rates the first time in like 2020, whenever it was, or 20, yeah, 2020, or no, it was 2018, they started cutting rates. 
they had to abort it the minute like the market started to fall apart. They like, you know, they stopped. They said, oh, it's a mid-course correction. And of course, it ended up being, you know, it went to zero. They, it wasn't a correction. They, there was the beginning of going back to zero. Sure. Um, so they will reach that point again. But there just has to be more pain before they, they do that. Wouldn't that, though, if, if the Fed does that uh, and, and rates came down, wouldn't that potentially signal an opportunity for, all right, back to borrowing, stocks back up? Uh, I don't, well, the reason I don't think it's going to be like the third time's a charm for the mm -hmm. Fed. I mean, they got away with it in 2008. Mm -hmm. They got away with it in 2020. I don't think they're going to get away with it again because during the you know 2009 time period, 2010, 2011, and even as late as 2020, the official CPI numbers were still sub 2%. Mm. So they had that cover. Like, okay, we, we can do this because we have low inflation. Right. But if the wheels fall off the bus again, we have a blow up in the financial sector, whether it's a bank failure or something's going on with the money markets or hedge fund or some, some, something cracks somewhere yeah. because there's all this debt out there, right? And it's all, it's unserviceable, let alone unpayable. So something's going to break. Something's going to implode the longer the Fed keeps rates where they are. And of course, as they keep ratcheting it up, it just puts more pressure. So, but when something happens, some crisis happens, yeah, something and breaks. now the Fed does what it's done in the past, right? Oh, we're going to slash interest rates. We're going to launch QE. If they do that, let's say inflation is 6%. It's triple their 2% target. How can they justify their response? Mm -hmm. And if inflation is 6%, and they pursue inflation as a solution to this financial problem. And now it goes to 15%, right? Does the bond market really rally in that circumstance? Hmm. Because the bond market has rallied every time the Fed has launched QE right. because traders anticipate the Fed buying bonds. And so they want to own those bonds and sell them to the Fed. But if they realize that inflation is running out of control, Bonds are just IOU dollars. Mm -hmm. And if the dollar is going to lose a lot of value, why would you want to buy a promise to be paid dollars in the future when they're going to be worth so much less in the future than they are right now? Mm -hmm. So that's going to be the real breaking point where the Fed goes back to QE. And instead of going up, bond prices go down. Because the trust has been lost in the and, and, and they no longer believe that inflation is con contained. Wow. And also, the dollar goes down. Mm -hmm. See, right now, the Fed raises rates. The dollar goes up, right. bonds go up. What's right. ultimately going to happen is the Fed's going to raise rates and the dollar and the bonds are going to go down. Wow. Because wow. people are going to realize that they're raising rates, but it doesn't matter. They're still behind the inflation curve. And it doesn't matter if nominal rates go up. What matters is real rates. Wow. And if inflation is, is, is accelerating faster than the rate hikes, the Fed is, is falling further behind the curve. So at some point, right, it, they're going to wake up and then gold will respond. I mean, right now, what happens with gold? Whenever there's more inflation mm -hmm. than the markets expect, gold goes down, mm -hmm. right? Oh, inflation is hotter and gold, you know, gold was down 30 bucks the other day. I yeah. know uh, oh, there's inflation news. Why is, why is higher inflation bad for gold? Gold's an inflation hedge. Right. It should be good for gold. It's only bad for gold because the markets think the Fed will be motivated to fight harder. Oh, inflation is higher than the Fed thought. Well, they're just going to have to raise rates higher and leave them there even longer right. to bring it back down. And so that pushes gold down. What investors eventually have to come to terms with 
is higher inflation doesn't mean the Fed has to fight harder to win. It just means the Fed is losing. It is losing the war against inflation. And higher inflation is evidence of that. And you need to buy gold on higher inflation. So eventually that's what's going to happen. When we have higher inflation, when we have more stimulus, we have more QE, it's going to be gold up, the dollar down, bonds down, and stocks, you know, it'll be mixed depending on the stock. Based on the earnings or whatever. Yeah, I mean, some companies. But initially, I mean, you know, a lot of things are going to implode. I mean, to me, the markets, you know, really look like 2001 around wow. then. I mean, wow. you know, so your favorite stocks then, if we're in 01, would be uh, all tech today. No, yes. Well, th- those are the ones that are going to go down the most. Remember, the NASDAQ dropped about 80%. Yeah. And a lot of stocks dropped 100%. And the NASDAQ would have gone down more than 80%. In fact, I think it would have gone down 90%. In fact, back in 2000, when the bubble was near its peak, the NASDAQ right. was now 5,000, I was predicting a 90% decline in the wow. NASDAQ. And the only reason it was only 80 was because the Fed cut rates to 1%. I didn't see that happening. Darn, so, Peter, you were yeah, off. <laughs> yeah, so, but by 2002, I said, okay, we're not going down 90%. I could see the writing. I can read the writing on the wall with 1% mm-hmm. interest rates. And so I knew that, you know, the market had bottomed. But I mm-hmm. still didn't buy tech stocks. I was just buying, you know, value stocks and foreign stocks. Now, I should have. I should have, you know, loaded up. Should have just bought a bunch of uh, Amazon back then. Or, sure. Uh, you know, that, that one survived Amazon, Apple, you know, e- eBay, Apple was a great buy back then. Yeah, sure. Cause sure. you know, that Apple was, Apple was the stock that didn't even participate in the bubble. Everybody, everybody was selling their Apple to buy all the Apple. Apple was nothing, you know, in, in 2000, it was, you know. So what you're saying is today all in on Tesla then? Yeah. Well, yeah. Tesla is one of those, uh, you know, meme stocks and maybe it's the original meme stock. Wow. But I still think Tesla has a way to go down and, and, and all these stocks. And that's, again, that's Kathy Woods, like her core holding is mm-hmm. Tesla. And that's what kind of helped propel her to into the limelight. She got lucky with Tesla. Mm-hmm. She bought a bunch of Tesla. Do you think she can get lucky again with the autonomy of full self-driving? No, or? no, no. I mean, I think, I mean, I think her, her, her day in the limelight, you know, her five minutes or however much fame she had. Although, you know, she still gets brought out. They still look at her as some kind of messiah. They don't, they don't realize that she was just in the right place at the right time. And there's an old saying about not confusing brains with a bull market. And that's particularly important in a bubble. You definitely don't want to confuse brains with a bubble because she was in a bubble and she's still in a bubble. She just doesn't recognize it. It's very hard to see a bubble when you're inside it. It's much easier when you're looking from outside the bubble. So with her arguments on uh, robotics, battery storage, autonomy, uh, genomic sequencing, those none of those are interesting or just too expensive, too no, frothy I mean, valuation? No, I mean, all of that stuff is good. I'm not yeah. saying that she's wrong that there's going to be innovation. Now, is she smart enough to pick the names that are going to make it? Probably not. I mean, most of the stock she's buying probably, you know, are going to go bankrupt. I mean, she does. Oh, wow. It's very difficult to do. Like, if you go back to the beginning of the automobile, I mean, there's like a hundred automobile companies in America. So, if you would have bought a bunch of these companies in 1900, because yeah, people are going to use cars. They're not going to be riding on on uh, horses anymore. Right. You'd have been right. But most of the stocks you bought would have gone to zero. Wow. Right? Because you know you don't know. Yeah. So, 
Kathy Wood is probably right that we're going to have a lot of increased productivity that's going to result from you know, tech and, and artificial intelligence and all the stuff that we're doing. But are the companies that she owns now going to really benefit from it or are they going to be put out of business by another company that she doesn't own? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that, that just comes out of left field with something better. Uh, maybe the, 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 the companies that she's invested are just laying the foundation for other companies to rebuild on the rubble that they leave behind. Who knows? Now, maybe some of the stocks that she owns will end up succeeding. But sure. the question is, what will they be worth? Maybe she already overpaid for them. Uh, maybe they will succeed, but they're not going to be as valuable as she thinks because they're going to have a lot more competition. See, that's what happens like with, with Tesla. People were like, oh, look at this electric car market and look at Tesla has half the market. So, and, and, when the, and when everybody has an electric car, they're going to have half of that market. No, they won't because as they start making money, they're going to invite competition. Mm. And so you may be right that everybody is in electric cars, but the market share of Tesla is going to be a fraction of what it is in the future when it's a much bigger market. And they're competing with all these other companies. I mean, you pointed out, you came into my garage. I got two electric vehicles and neither one is Tesla. One is a Jaguar. One is a Porsche. I mean, you know, so, I mean, there's other companies that make electric vehicles. Yeah, I don't have to buy a Tesla. But do you have full self-driving? No, but, you know, <laughs> I don't. I don't have self-driving, but I wouldn't. How wouldn't valuable trust. do you think There's that too many is? potholes in Puerto Rico. I don't know. Do, do they self-driving cars know to avoid the potholes? <laughs> you know, in their last Investor Day presentation, they, they were talking about working on uh, code that could identify potholes. And then yeah, adjust what the I need here is a self-driving golf cart. Because ah, okay. I'm in my golf carts a lot more, as you know, than Model my, two. my actual car. But, uh, <laughs> but there are a lot of Teslas here, and I've been in Teslas. I'm not saying they're they're not you know they're 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 decent cars. By the way, uh, May Musk has been to this resort. I had a good conversation with her. One oh day. wow! I've never seen Elon here, but I've seen. His Do you car. like Elon? Yes, I think I like. I, I I wish he was a friend of mine. I mean, I think he's mm-hmm. I think he's an interesting guy. Very you know eccentric, I guess is a word for him. But you know, what about Twitter? Him buying Twitter? Yeah, well, you know. I was critical of it as an investment. Okay. When I when when in fact when he first talked about it, I, I thought he was just joking with everybody. Yeah, yeah, like, everybody. Like, <laughs> just like yanking their chain, like, right. you know. Um, and then he actually did it. Yeah. Uh, and I knew that, you know, I, if you if you followed my investment advice when he was doing it, I said sell Tesla. I said if he buys it, it's bad for Tesla stock. And of course that was around the time. But mm-hmm. one of the interesting things is he was able to use buying Twitter as an excuse to sell a bunch of Tesla yes. much higher. Yes. You know, if he was selling it without that, it would have raised some eyebrows. But look, I don't really want to sell it. I need the money to buy to buy Twitter. So people are like, oh, you overpaid for Twitter. Yes, he did, but he got a lot more money for his Tesla shares than they were mm-hmm. worth. So it's you know, it's six of one and a half dozen of the other. <laughs> but as a Twitter user, yeah. right, I use Twitter quite a bit. No. No, yeah. I don't know if you follow me. Of course. But I'm getting close to a million followers. Maybe you can help me get up there. I'm like 920,000 Twitter followers. You know, I tweeted a picture of us. They're all organic. I don't have any, you know, like bots following. I've never never paid to promote a tweet or to buy a subscriber. So there is a lot of engagement on my site because it's all organic. It's all real people that are interested not only in responding to my tweets, but responding to the responses on my tweets, right? You How do you deal with the game. criticism? Oh, you know, I, I, I deal with it. Do you read it? 
yes, yeah, I don't read them all because it's, it's too many. But I, I like too to, much criticism. I like to no too many too many <laughs> too many replies. That okay. we, like, you know, there's, there's so much time of the day. But as a a Twitter user, yeah. I'm very happy that Elon owns Twitter. I think he's done a great service, public service, by overpaying for Twitter and making all this information known mm. about how Twitter colluded, Twitter colluded with the government to kind mm-hmm. of help you know influence the outcome of the 2020 election. So, what was your reaction to that? Oh, I, I didn't. I wasn't surprised. <laughs> <laughs> what but, about you know? I think it's good to have the proof, yeah. right? Um, Did you see the Twitter or the um, Tucker Carlson Jan Six videos on the inside? Yeah, yeah. And you know, look, I, I I've always believed that the left uh, blew that out of proportion. Mm. You know, I mean that it wasn't like an attempt to, to coup. It wasn't a violent insurrection. I mean, people didn't show up with guns. They had cameras. They were they were taking selfies. They weren't shooting anybody. Sure. And um, yeah, I mean, it got out of hand. Uh, but I mean, I mean, they completely blew it out of proportion. And now you see like this main guy who got like a four year prison sentence is being escorted through the Capitol building by like half a dozen or so uh, policemen who are like, here you go. Go here. Oh, let me try that door for you. Oh, that one's locked. Let's try another one. I mean, if you're walking through the Capitol and you're being escorted by the police, and not only are they not trying to stop you, they're like helping you. Why would you think that you're doing something wrong? Right. Now, if he, if, the, if the footage had shown this guy, you know, like like Rambo going through there, like beating all these cops up, like sure. they're all trying to stop him, and he was like, you know, doing some kind of karate moves or right. knocking him down, and yeah. he fought his way through. Okay, even right. some head shakes or no, <laughs> don't go here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, just yeah. push the guy out of the way, you yeah, know. Yeah. But no, it was like you know. And where was all that footage before? I mean, why did that guy have access to that footage like in his trial, like mm-hmm. to defend himself? Um, but you know, they 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 all they did this to discredit obviously Trump. They didn't sure. want Trump to run again. They're trying to get him, you know, arrested or tried or whatever it was. So, it's just, but the, the the left lies about everything. I mean, it's not just this. I mean, it's and it's not just the left. I mean, Republicans lie too. I mean, but the Democrats are probably you know better at it, but. I mean, if they're going to lie about something like, you know, January 6th and, mm. and make up all that stuff, right? Well, what does that tell you about when they're giving you economic data? They're talking mm. about inflation or unemployment. I mean, none of that is true. The government lies about everything. I mean, that's at least the one thing you can say about government is it's consistent, right? <laughs> lies about everything. So on, on the note of government, just last couple of questions here. Uh, Biden or Newsom? I'm sorry, um, DeSantis or Newsom? Well, obviously, it'd be DeSantis. I mean, you know, but the question is, is it DeSantis or, or who else in the Trump. Republican Party? Yeah, you know, I'm not a big Trump fan. Mm. I voted for him the first time. I can't vote for anybody anymore because I live in Puerto Rico. So I've given up my vote. Mm. And the trade-off is I've given up the income tax. So it's, it's, it works for me. You know, my vote was never that valuable. I mean, normally I vote for the loser. Trump was one of the few times I voted for the winner. But I voted in Connecticut and Trump lost Connecticut. So it was a complete waste of time right, going to the polls and, and voting Republican in, in Connecticut. You didn't Just get like, a mail-in ballot? No, that's when I still live there. Oh, okay. I can't vote anymore. I don't live in Connecticut anymore. I live in Puerto Rico. We can't vote over here. right? So, But we also don't have to pay the income tax. So again, it's a trade-off that's beneficial pretty much. I, I think everybody I know, if I basically asked them that question, would you give up your right to vote 
if you didn't have to pay any income taxes? I mean, it's like, sure, why do I need to vote if I'm not paying taxes? Who cares? <laughs> who cares who wins? I can't raise wow. it. But, wow. but anyway, but it was like a waste when I was voting anyway, you know. Uh, and I lived in California for a long time. Huh? I mean, I'm, I mean, I couldn't vote for the winner in California. Right? So I'd, I'd vote Libertarian. No way. They had no chance. Right. right? It's just right. like. It's, uh, it's only Democrats win. Though, just yes. a ceremonial, like, you know, vote. Just yes. to, you know, let the, you know, give the guy some encouragement that, that, that ran. <laughs> Keep going. But, <laughs> but the problem I have with Trump, I mean, he's a genuine guy and he did some things that were good. Right. Which at least is better than Biden, who's done no things that are good, right? So he's done did something. Is he going to make it to twenty four? Oh, is he gonna, I mean, is he going to survive, live long enough? Will he be capable to run again? I don't know. Look, what was the, what was the other guy that ran with a disability that won? Fetterman. Fetterman. Yeah, look at him. And now, now he's like in the hospital, right? He's he's not even he can't even get into the Senate because he. So I mean, you know, he could be like. You know, what was that? Um, not Weekend at Bernie's was a, but remember Woody Allen where they had the leader oh. and he was like, he ended up being, he was just like an, a thumb or something or I forget, but <laughs> they could find a way to prop him up and just like, you know, let Got him it. run, right? So Trump was <laughs> DeSantis? But Trump, you know, Trump was more of a populist. He mm-hmm. didn't end up, he didn't go to Washington and do what I would have done mm. if I was there, which is, you know, drain the swamp. Oh, right. so he didn't. Right. No, 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 he didn't. I, I would have. I wanted. I would have cut spending dramatically. I mean, across the board. I wouldn't have created the space force. Mm. I would have gotten rid of like a lot of the government agencies. I would have had big cuts to entitlements, Social Security, Medicare. Oh, you know, wow. I, you know, that's I, very I, unpopular. Well, that has to be done, mm. and it takes a, a real statesman to do it. I was hopeful that maybe Trump, not a career politician. Mm would try to do what's right and not what's politically expedient because no politician is going to do what's unpopular. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with democracy. All the things that need to be done are very unpopular. Mm -hmm. And it would, it would have been great if Trump did them. I mean, I would do, I wouldn't care if I was, you know, I was president. I would just do everything that I needed to do. I wouldn't care if I ever got reelected. I wouldn't care if people didn't like me. This is what needs to be done. Is that ever going to happen? No, I mean, you know, I mean, you can't get elected telling the truth. You have to lie to get elected and then you have to tell the truth after you get elected. But that never happens. You know, Mm. the lie, you lie your way into the White House and then you keep lying the whole time you're there. But Trump was a big spender. He was a big taxer, except he just wanted to tax people with tariffs Mm. and pretend that the Chinese paid them. But, you know, and like I'm not a tariffs could be a better way of raising taxes than income taxes. So if you lower income taxes and, and then put tariffs, that's, that's a, po- a positive as far as I'm concerned. But mm-hmm. he didn't do that. I mean, there were some little tax cuts, but um, then, you know, but, you know, I was like, you know, in that, in that race, the initial 2020 race, my candidate was Rand Paul. Uh-huh. So that's who I supported, but he kind of fell away. Trump sucked all the oxygen out of the room. In right. fact, a lot of uh, uh, Ron Paul supporters ended up going to Trump. Yeah. Trump was more charismatic than Rand. Sure. Right. But the w- one reason I would like to see Trump president is because of how many people would be so pissed off that he got elected. I mean, and, and the people who I don't again, like, you mean in 24? Yes. The people that I really don't like are the ones that will be pissed off. I mean, they were already pissed off when he won the first time. I see. You know, um, so that, you know, and DeSantis wouldn't cut it for you. Well, I mean, DeSantis is fine. I mean, but again, I don't expect he's not a game changer. I don't think DeSantis is going to go to Washington and do what needs to be done. But he punished Disney. Hmm? (laughs) You know, now now he has his board controlling. You know, but I mean, look, he's a decent governor. I mean, I would definitely, if I 
had the ability to vote. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom still lives in Florida. She'd vote for him. God. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, but, you know, I, I think he'd probably be a better candidate than Trump in that I think it'll be easier for him to win against Biden. But I think if 2024 were is Biden-Trump, I think Trump will win again. Because I think the economy will be so bad by 2024, it'll be very hard for Biden to run uh, on, on a campaign of four more years. Right, right. And even though Trump... Want what we just had? Yeah. Four more years. And even though Trump highly yeah. exaggerated how strong the economy was when he was president, just sure. like Biden is exaggerating it now, sure. people don't even remember what it was actually like. They just know how lousy it is now. Mm. And he could still say, look, everything was great. And they're like, I, I handed it off to Biden and it's a complete mess. Mm. So I made America great once, I'll do it again. I we just got, you know, so... That's why they may have to get rid of Biden just to have somebody else run because, you know, but I don't know how you have another Democrat distance themselves from Biden. From Biden. Right, right. Where it'd have to be like a Newsom or something. But it's well, almost like the, the Democrats want Trump to run so because they think they could beat him. Right. But that's right. that. But that's the mistake they made the first time. Uh, yeah, he was yeah. like their dream candidate because they thought, well, he can't win. And then their, their dream turned into a nightmare. Last question. Uh, your son is still into Bitcoin, and yeah. you are not. Yeah, I know. I well, he's only he's still only twenty. So, but it's not at zero yet. In no, fact, it's but over he, twenty. But he, I'm not, no, I'm saying his age. Is no, 20. I know, but conveniently, so Bitcoin's he's still also young. over twenty. I know. Right. The yeah, old yeah. saying was, if you're not a uh, socialist by the time you're you know eighteen, you don't have a heart. But if you're not a conservative by the time you're twenty eight, you don't have a head. So he still has a few more years to mentally grow up and I recognize. See the error of his Bitcoin ways. But there are a lot of adults in my neighborhood here that are into Bitcoin or other crypto. This is a nice know. neighborhood. Yeah, and they've, well, they got in early, you know, uh-huh. and they were able to cash out. That's why they can afford to live here. Right? Uh-huh. But the people who bought their Bitcoin, they're not gonna be able to afford to live here because they're gonna lose all their money uh-huh. when uh, the bubble pops. But yeah, I haven't been able to convince my son he is as committed in his belief now he's kind of a bitcoin maximal so he doesn't like all the other cryptos okay he's just bitcoin right so now uh, i mean we just went from sixty-nine thousand to fifteen thousand. Uh, you had the collapse of ftx you have the potentially near collapse of binance they're obviously <laughs> still around uh what's it going to take i mean if, if bitcoin's able to survive that uh, and falling to 15k and rebounding what why would it go away maybe it is an inflation hedge well you know Nothing goes down in a straight line. There are a lot of people with a vested interest in maintaining the price of Bitcoin. So there are people that were there to to buy. Um, But I I don't expect Bitcoin to make a new high. Um, I think after this consolidation is over, you know, as we're doing this interview, it's around 22,000. But I do expect during this year for Bitcoin to break down and, and take out the lows from last year, whatever yeah. it was, 16,000. Yeah. I think we'll probably trade under ten thousand before the end of the year. Wow. My guess. Will we close below? I don't know. I mean, they're probably by the dipping. Sure. Um, but you know, then maybe the following year we'll take out five thousand or one thousand. But I, I do expect the rest of the air to come out of this bubble. Um, as inflation and, remains sticky and yeah and it's not a, it proves that it's not a hedge mm-hmm. uh it's not digital gold it, it doesn't 
have any properties in common with gold. It's just a, a, a collectible token, digital token, uh, but it doesn't have any actual value. I mean, it's not good as a medium of exchange or a unit of account. It can't be a store of value because there's no value at the store. But yeah, it has a price because people think it is going to go up. So people are willing to buy it and hold it. You don't think yeah. the international trade or being able to send money overseas through blockchain? Well, you're not sending money. You're, you're sending Bitcoin, right? It's a difference. You know, you're, <laughs> but you, in, you know, in theory, you can sell that Bitcoin and get money. Sure. But what if you can't? What if the price collapses? And then when you go to sell it, you can't get much money for your Bitcoin. Um, but, you know, you can do the same thing mm -hmm. with uh, cryptocurrencies that are actually backed by something. And mm -hmm. I've been talking about this, uh, and this is what I believe is the future of blockchain or cryptocurrency. Stable style coins? Right, but not stable to a fiat currency mm -hmm. like the dollar, but stable to real money like gold. Mm -hmm. So if you're really looking for an alternative to a fiat system, but one that is easily incorporated into online transactions sure. where you can send your uh, tokens around the world quickly and for a low cost, this solution is uh, tokenized gold. It's to have a central depository or private company, wherever governments, anybody can do it. You take gold, you tokenize that gold, and now the tokens are freely tradable. Hmm. They're redeemable in gold. If somebody wants the gold, they can take the tokens and take deliver the gold. But more likely, they can exchange the tokens, hmm. use them as a medium exchange, uh, businesses could use them as a unit of account, and a medium of exchange. Everybody can use it as a store of value. And then you have a real currency backed by real money, mm. except it's a crypto digital currency yeah. as opposed to a paper currency. But, you know, before we had fiat money. Then it's real digital gold. Right. Well, oh. yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's a digital representation of actual gold. Right. Bitcoin is a digital representation of nothing. They, they depict Bitcoin like the coin. They make this gold coin. They put a B in there. But there is no actual coin anywhere. There's no substance. Mm. And that's why there's no difference between a Bitcoin and a Satoshi. I mean, the only difference between a Bitcoin and a Satoshi is that one Satoshi is 100 million Bitcoin. Well, one Bitcoin is 100 million Satoshi. But I can't do anything more with a Bitcoin than I can with a Satoshi because I can't do anything with a Satoshi. So it doesn't matter how many I have. Relative to, let's say, I think you posted a silver article where you mentioned, look, silver is used in solar. There's actual uh, conductive property to silver. Yes. And the more silver you have, the more you can use it in industry. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a difference between having a gram of silver and an ounce of silver. I right, can do right. a lot more with an ounce. Right. But I can't do anything more with 100 million Satoshis than I mm -hmm. can with one, other than I can give them away. I can trade them. But... There's nothing you could do with, with any of them. Even, even if I had all 21 million Bitcoin, what could I do with them? Uh, nothing. I, I couldn't do a thing. One question from Twitter that seems to be a question a lot of people have is, why have gold prices been flat for years with inflation soaring? Yeah, you know, well, you got to go back over the last 20 years or so. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, gold was under 300. And it had a big run up to 1900 in 10 years. So that was a big move. And so it spent the last decade or so kind of consolidating mm. that move. And so gold is an inflation hedge, but doesn't mean it's going to be perfectly correlated, you know, every year. 
it's over longer periods of time that it's going to hold its value. Mm -hmm. I think that gold got ahead of itself when it ran up to 1900. I think it's behind where it should be now. But a lot of that, again, has to do with the false expectations that people have about the future trajectory of interest rates and inflation. When more people recognize reality, and eventually they will, right? Abraham Lincoln said you could fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time, right? Uh So eventually uh, the people, the bond market, the gold market is going to wake up to reality. And then there's a lot of catching up to do in gold. I mean, all of a sudden the Mm -hmm. sellers are going to disappear and the buyers are going to, you know, you know, increase in number and the price could shoot up very quickly. So let's say the price of gold, which is now around 1800, it could have one year where it moves up to 5,000, right? From 1800. And all of a sudden, Hey, wait a minute. Now go back over the last five years and it's kept pace, right? Right. Because all of a sudden it has a big move in one year and now you, you know, you've caught up. So some people just lose patience. Well, that's what Kathy Wood says. Just wait five more years. Uh, oh, for her stocks. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, she's waiting for Godot, waiting for those stocks to come back. Yes. But there's a difference between a valuable commodity and a, a money losing company. I mean, because that's five more years of losses, assuming the company could survive mm-hmm. uh, those losses. But yeah, I mean, like I said, I think that bubble's already popped. Got it. And so Got it. It, it, it's difficult to reflate another one. Um, a lot of people think, oh, look at Bitcoin, right? The bubble has popped so many times. You know, it really hasn't. I mean, it's it's just been one big bubble ever since it started in 2009, 2010. Um, but I, I do think it's, you know, it's as I said, I think it's likely, likely peaked. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the peak coincided with the meme stocks and uh, the NFTs and uh, El Salvador and, yeah. you know, yeah. the Super Bowl commercials Miami. and all the hype. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. two, 2021, I mean, was massive sure. a blowout top because you have to ask, you know, ask yourself, it was like all this money that was spent advertising, promoting, pumping and Bitcoin went down. Mm. How come? Because all the people spending all that money to advertise were the ones selling. Oh, <laughs> right. So it was just like it was a distribution top where a lot of the insiders like distributed all their crap to the mom and pops who, you know, saw somebody on Instagram you know, who was touting a coin or, you know, TikTok, you know, all these influencers jumped on the bandwagon yeah. and were paid all kinds of money. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, what's who was it? Was it Kardashian that got fined by the SEC? Yep. Um, but all these pop stars and athletes, you know, they all got sucked into it. Look what happened to poor Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. You know, he got sucked in FTX. Yep. Um, but that was the peak. That was the end of it all. That mm-hmm. was like, you know, you know, they rang a bell and hey, it's over. You know, everybody's in. You know, this is it. And so, but people just don't recognize that, oh. that, that, that that's just over. But a lot of money is going to be made uh, as the bubble deflates, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people are going to lose money. Sure, but people but get out on the way. Well, the people who get out have already made money. Uh, but there's a lot of money to be made. I mean, I, I did really well as an investor between 2002 and 2008 because all the stocks I was buying during the NASDAQ bubble that didn't go anywhere, just went way up. 
in between 2008, 2002, 2008. I mean, mm. great returns. So I was able to harvest the returns that I that I planted during that bubble. So mm. I think a lot of the positions that I have now that I've been building over the years, I think the profits are really going to start to come in as the rest of the air comes out of that bubble the way it did following the, the, the bursting of the, the bubble wow. in, in 2000. Wow. Well, this has been incredible. Uh, Peter, how do people get in touch with you? You've got shiftradio.com at Peter Schiff. It looks like pretty much on everything. And uh, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. What am I missing here? Well, you know, you got my podcast, The Peter Schiff Show, which is Schiff Radio. You can listen to it also on my YouTube channel. Um, I don't got, I don't have your kind of numbers yet on YouTube. Oh, so Actually, I, I think you just came out of the blue and just like passed me. You know, because uh, I, I have about, I have like a little over half a million. Uh, and you, what are you, a couple million now? or Right around there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but so, but I'm on YouTube, so you can find me there and get my podcast. Um, but the most important thing is if you're listening to me to tell your friends to listen, because we need to grow the army of people who know the truth and understand economics and, mm. you know, and, and, you know, people are getting brainwashed at universities so I need to get more young people, you know, uh, to, to, to listen. Yeah. And I have a good young audience. I mean, they can't afford to be clients of mine, but that's fine. You know, maybe they'll be clients in the future. How can but, people reach out to you to be a client of yours? Yeah. Well, there you can get a hold of me through my main website now is europac.com. Europac.com. And that's for my asset management company. And you can call us, you can fill out a form online, and one of the representatives will get back to you uh, to talk about our investment strategies, see you know, whether or not uh, they'd fit into your, your portfolio. Um, also, for physical precious metals, you can you know, go to Shift Gold and buy physical gold and silver, and you won't get ripped off. The problem in the industry today is that so many people are overcharging for their gold and silver. Mm. Big markups, and they pay celebrities to go out and endorse them, and then they pay the celebrities a lot of money, so now they gotta overcharge their customers to pay the celebrities. We don't do any of that. We don't, Shift Gold doesn't advertise at all. It's just my followers going by, and so it's very low markups, right? And so mm. it's the best way to go out and buy physical gold and silver. But also, if you don't wanna have an account with my firm, mm. you don't want, me to you know you want to you don't want to set up another account which i encourage people to do i think it's worth the effort but if you're one of those do-it-yourselfers and you've got you know an account at schwab or fidelity or you know uh, interactive broker or any of these discount brokerage firms you can buy my mutual funds my mutual funds are on the platform they're there the Europe pacific fund family i've got a global value fund the dividend pair funds those are the ones that are crushing it Yes. Uh, according to their competitors. Is there a program. ticker for those? Yeah. They, you know, you can go get them on my website and then buy them anywhere, right? Got Just go it. to yep. europac.com and look at the mutual funds. Okay. I've got a gold fund, I've got an emerging market fund, and a foreign bond fund. So those are my five funds, and you can buy them anywhere. Emerging market, would that include China, bullish from China? Yeah, you know, more Hong Kong. Okay. Uh, okay. Only a couple of mainland China names in yeah. there. Okay. But I'm bullish on China. You know, the only reason we don't have more China, I think, is just worries about like some kind of sanctions that like force us to have to sell. Like, yeah. oh, you have to divest. Yeah. And of course, when you do that, you're not going to get a good price, right? When when you're forced when you're forced to sell and everybody's being forced to sell, the the, the, the lucky ones are the ones that get to buy, right? So that's why I don't believe in any of this. The government should not be uh, restricting Americans and if they want, you know, on, on where they can invest their money. 
Well, you know, it doesn't yeah. actually make any difference. I mean, if it's a publicly traded stock and you say Americans can't hold it, it's not going to change anything for the company. Mm. All it means is the American is going to end up losing money. Mm-hmm. And some foreigner is going to take advantage of, sure. of, of, of the American who's been sacrificed by his own government. Right. That share dilution goes away. They get more value. Somebody <laughs> like, or, or the Chinese get to buy yeah. back the shares on the cheap. At a discount. Yep, right. Exactly. And the Chinese yeah. citizens benefit. The Americans yeah. suffer. Yeah. And I don't even think it's legal. I mean, the way it's deprivation of property without due process it's not you know you know and we're not at war with china i mean there's you know it's not like you know i mean is china gonna invade taiwan though i don't know Mm. i don't know but um that'll be for part two Hmm? that'll be there i hope they don't i mean you know i mean i don't like war you know i don't like the war that's going on right now in the ukraine and i think if we hadn't gotten involved i think it would have ended a long time ago Wow. And so we're keeping it going i think so i mean maybe not by ourselves we got some european partners but I think uh, the Russians and the Ukrainians would have been much better off with a quick resolution. Yeah. In fact, they would have been better off if they avoided the conflict in the first place, which should have been done. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a diplomacy failure that this even happened. Oh yeah. And now we're bragging about the fact that oh, the war has been going on for a year. That's not a success. No. That's a failure. Yeah. That the, that they're, that they're still at war. Yeah. Peter. All right. Thank you so much hey, for Kevin. inviting me All into right. your home.